Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This podcast exists because of the paid members at DecodingTV.com. At DecodingTV.com, you can get access to ad-free episodes, early access to episodes, and bonus episodes for both the Decoding TV podcast and a cast of Kings podcast. Thanks to everyone at DecodingTV.com who makes this podcast possible. Yes, it's a self-contained wedding episode. And if you think this is happening at an inconvenient time in the season, you're right, because that's how weddings always are. But I'm going to look great, so let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV. I am David Chen. I'm Siddhanta Dlaka. Today on Decoding TV, we're going to be covering She-Hulk, Season 1, Episode 6, entitled Just Jen. You can find more episodes of this podcast at decodingtv.com or podcast.decodingtv.com, I should say. And find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash decodingtv. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Before we get to season one, episode six of uh, She-Hulk Attorney at Law, though, we are going to talk about a couple of things. I have an announcement. Plus, uh, we are going to be diving into Daredevil for reasons that I'm going to explain shortly. Uh, the announcement is. Folks who follow the Decoding TV podcast and the Cast of Kings podcast, uh, both of which are available at decodingtv.com, may know that uh, the sheer number of hours of content that I am producing each week has become massive. Uh, just truly, uh, you know, a very large quantity of content. Many, many, many hours of video and audio content each week. And so uh, I am actually going to ask someone to help me out, step in, and help uh, do a, a She-Hulk episode or two starting next week. Dan Kvazdin is going to be filling in my shoes on the Decoding TV podcast to discuss She-Hulk episode 7, possibly episode 8 as well. I will definitely be back for She-Hulk episode 9 to wrap this all up, but... Uh, I did want people to know that uh, if you don't hear me on the podcast next week, it's nothing wrong. Me, me and Zidane didn't have a massive falling out. Um, it's just that uh, there's a large number of podcasts I'm making, and uh, I need a little bit of time to deal with uh, other aspects of the business. Um, so really grateful to Dan Kvazden, who hosts the Amazing Spider Talk podcast. His knowledge of comics is going to be way better than mine anyway. It's going to be much closer to the Zidane's. And so I'm looking forward to what the two of you guys are going to talk about uh, next week, which is going to be a run of the She-Hulk comics entitled Single Green Female by Dan Slott. Mm-hmm. And uh, we will link to where you can get that on Amazon, the show notes. But as usual, we'll be having a main topic. Uh, next week, it'll be She-Hulk, Single Green Female, followed by She-Hulk Episode 7. And Dan Kavazan will be filling in for me. Uh, so, yeah, go ahead, Sedan. I'm looking forward to speaking with Dan. I'm, of course, going to miss you. But once again, want to ensure all our listeners, everything is fine between me and David. So don't worry, darlings. <laughs> yeah, certainly any <laughs> any relationship associated with the phrase don't worry, darling is intact and safe. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but seriously though, uh, I actually am looking forward to hearing you guys chat because uh, big fan of both of you, and it, it's that's one thing I am also hoping for decoding TV to one day have is podcasts that don't feature David Chen. That's actually going to be a a main draw, I think, is a podcast <laughs> that, don't, that don't feature David Chen. So oh, I can't wait. Uh, I know. Seriously, I'm so psyched. <laughs> I'm so psyched for it. Uh, anyway, in the meantime, uh, our main topic this week, before we get to this week's episode of She Hulk Attorney at Law, is Daredevil. Why are we talking about Daredevil? couple reasons number one it's been heavily hinted at in trailers for this show and promotional materials for she-hulk attorney at law that matt murdoch aka daredevil played by charlie cox will make an appearance on she-hulk attorney at law so it's like oh let's let's check back and see where we are with the whole daredevil thing the other reason is that in a very post credits like or in, in a post credits stinger like portion of last week's episode uh, it seemed as though the show was heavily hinting that Daredevil would be making an appearance on the show soon. Now, he did not actually make an appearance on She-Hulk Attorney at Law this week. So, boy, do we feel silly, Sidon, having prepped uh, a bunch of Daredevil material for today. Well, here's the thing. We're preparing our listeners for next week or maybe two or three weeks from now, whenever this happens. Yes. Um, and I'll say this much. The show, you know, it, it has plausible deniability with this Daredevil helmet showing up. They never explicitly promised, hey, Daredevil's here next week. But I do want to point out, that the previous week, after episode four, they actually released a trailer clip of Jen Walters and Matt Murdock having a conversation. And they usually do stuff like that, like yeah, before the footage they release comes is, out. Yeah, right before yeah. the episode comes out. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. he wasn't in last week's episode, but he was hinted at, and there was and this week's episode was like kind of its own side thing. So uh maybe he's not even in the show for all we know. <laughs> it would be an amazing troll, I would say, if they teased Matt Murdock's reappearance and then he never showed up. I do think it is distinctly possible that Matt Murdock will be in like the post credit stinger of episode nine. And that's it. Like that, that is something that I am preparing my body for. Um, yeah. And, so, and Charlie yeah. Cox has no idea. It's like an Adrian Brody in the thin red line situation. Like he, <laughs> he, finds out no while, he finds out while watching the show. He's been completely cut from the show basically. And he didn't know yeah. it. He's not even um, in the 18 episodes of Daredevil Born Again. <laughs> well, yeah, that's another thing is we should point out that uh, Marvel has announced that there's going to be a new series, Daredevil Born Again, uh, which is going to be 18 episodes long. And I think debuting in, uh, I want to say 2024, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it starts um, shooting uh, first quarter of next year, I believe. Yeah. Uh, which was a huge surprise because I think when the show ended on Netflix in, I believe it was 2018, people were like, oh, that's that's probably the end for that version of the character. But not only has Charlie Cox as Matt Murdock showed up uh, what will probably be at the end of She-Hulk Attorney at Law several times, but they're bringing the whole crew back. Uh, Charlie Cox and also I think Vincent D'Onofrio is playing Wilson Fisk again for mm-hmm. uh, Daredevil Born Again. So uh daredevil lives and david remind me did you watch hawkeye uh i did not finish hawkeye but i understand that wilson fisk makes an appearance is that right yeah and he's revealed through a really grainy like cell phone footage it's a very unceremonious reveal that oh the netflix stuff oh that's that's canon and all of that it was pretty funny I know it's kind of cool, like how these shows dip their toes in the water a little bit you know with like 
stuff that wasn't released under the current Marvel Studios Disney banner. They'll like dip mm-hmm. their toe into it and be like, "Hey, maybe maybe we still acknowledge this is canon," and then like do a full blown um, announcement. In the case of Daredevil, we saw it with Daredevil: Born Again. We also saw it with the leader, Tim Blake Nelson's character from mm-hmm. The Incredible Hulk, coming back. Like this kind of seems to be their mo, and I like it. I like the tease. You know, I like how it. How they're doing it that way. So, and and speaking of teasers for for later on this episode, we will also be discussing how there may have possibly been a little hint towards the leader in this week's She Hulk. But we'll get mm, to that. Okay, I want to hear about that. Mm-hmm. I want to hear about that. So, let's talk about Daredevil. Daredevil the series premiered in 2015, and this was one of Marvel's first attempts at making uh, a series. Um, a TV series, not not the first attempt, but one of the first. It was one of the certainly one of the first that was like streaming centric because the show debuted on Netflix, mm-hmm. and we thought that would be its permanent home. Now, obviously, if a show like Daredevil was launching today, it would have launched on Disney Plus, and, and of course, seasons one through three of Daredevil, all thirty nine episodes, are available on Disney Plus. But in twenty fifteen, Disney Plus did not exist, and so uh, Marvel had TV ambitions. Um, they didn't have a streaming service on which to put them on. Netflix was and still is one of the biggest streaming services in the world. So they're like, hey, a match made in heaven. Let's put Daredevil on uh, on streaming. And now, we should also point out, we should also point out that at the time, the TV stuff, including Netflix, so the Netflix shows and the ABC shows like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter were largely produced independently of what we understand today as Marvel Studios, the the thing that's creatively run by Kevin Feige. So the TV division at the time functioned sort of separately from that, which is why there wasn't all that much synergy or integration or whatever you want to call it. Uh, so while it was sort of hinted at that, yeah, these things are, you know, canon to the MCU, there wasn't really that much of a connection. Um, yeah, but- it was produced by Marvel Television yes. at the time, which is like... Uh, distinct from the Marvel Studios that we know today. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I don't recall there being terribly many references to characters or ideas outside of the Daredevil universe. Um, yeah, there but... were there were sort of oblique references like the flag waver and the big green guy. Mm-hmm, that was about mm-hmm. it. There was no yeah. like, and th- these are shows that took place in New York, and you still you. You would get shots of the New York skyline, but you wouldn't have Avengers Tower, which was like at the central location in the Avengers. <laughs> right, right. Uh, now, we should point out, of course, that there were multiple Netflix Marvel shows, right? Mm-hmm. Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, uh, Iron Fist, and then The Defenders. So there, yeah. it, it, And I think I'll, I'll start there, which is that as you, know, you and I revisited Daredevil, we uh, watched a bunch of episodes, we watched the finale again, talked, you know... Um, read about it and so that's that's why we came what we came here to discuss today and i think the thing that really sticks out to me is just how ambitious all this was mm-hmm. they tried to basically replicate the mcu formula on a streaming service on on netflix um they tried to basically have like origin story shows for each of these characters and then have a big team up for them uh in the defenders and it's like hopefully this is like a tv version of uh the mcu now I think they met with limited success uh, to that degree uh, for a variety of reasons. One of the big ones being, I would say the two big ones for me are inconsistency in show quality and also uh, just, just budgetary constraints of television that 
prevent something like the Defenders from being a massive event like Avengers Endgame might have been, mm-hmm. right? So that, that's that's my take on it. What do you think of that assessment? Is that sound fair to you or is that am I being too harsh? No, I don't think you're being harsh at all. Uh, but I think the, again, the the bigger issue with those shows was the quality. Because I, I, you know, I dare you to find me more than a handful of people who really, really liked Iron Fist and think, you know, it should get like a second season. Did it get a second season? I have no idea. Um, I, I keep forgetting like which of these I've seen and which I it, haven't. It did go for two Iron Fist oh did my go for God. two seasons. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and look, here's but, the thing. But I, Even... would say, I would say Iron Fist was a laughably terrible show. Yes. Um, I, I watched the first few episodes and I was like, this is awful. Like, yeah. it is... And uh, the idea of Iron Fist is already kind of like woefully outdated for today's day and age. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the execution was just truly, truly terrible. So yeah. anyway, yeah. I don't, I don't know that I made it through the first episode, but I distinctly remember this one scene where uh, Iron Fist... What's his name? Finn Wolfhard? No, that's the Stranger Things kid. Uh, Finn something. Finn Jones. Finn Finn Jones. Jones. I was really close. I was several syllables off, though. Um, (laughs) He jumps over... Look, I I know I should, like, do my research on all this, but I want to keep things fresh. I want to keep things unpredictable. And he jumps over a car and flips midair, and he looks like an old, like, Microsoft PowerPoint animation rotating in the air. (laughs) That's when I threw my hands up, and I was like, all right, I've I've had it. Mm -hmm. Like, first of all, first of all, he doesn't look like someone who has been raised in East Asia for the last 10 or 15 years. He just looks like someone who's been backpacking for six months. <laughs> yep. I mean, fair, fair. Yeah. Uh, okay. and, oh, also, we, we forgot that there was actually another show. There was a Punisher spinoff show. Yeah, spun out right. Daredevil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, this is not an anti-Iron Fist uh, podcast, although it Let's probably be should real. be. Let's be real. Yes, it is. <laughs> Um, but yeah, there was uh, the Punisher also streamed for two seasons as well uh, on on uh, Netflix. Do uh, yeah, call that out as well, yeah. So anyway, going back to Daredevil, thinking on it again, I mm. am impressed by the ambition. They're creating mm. a whole new world. They're telling these origin stories. They are creating a whole new set of villains like we that haven't been referred to really or acknowledged in any of the movies. Uh, it's just it's just a really ambitious undertaking. And yes, there were some ups and downs to it, but I have to praise how ambitious it was to try to replicate the Marvel interconnected universe idea on a streaming service. Mm-hmm. Um, truly, it was it, they were before their time. Uh, now, I want to ask you, Sedanta Dlaka, like you watched, I think, the first two seasons, at least when it was airing, and then maybe revisited some elements of the third before we talked today. Uh, but what was your overall reflection on Daredevil? Did you enjoy it? Was there a reason you fell off the Daredevil train? Like, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, so I went in as a huge Daredevil fan. Um, when this announcement was made that, you know, Netflix was doing sort of grittier street-level Avengers on Netflix and those were all going to be uh, connected, um, like, I was really excited. I think it was around 2013, 2012 or 2013 that this was this announcement was made. And so I, you know, I... My plan was to tear through that first season of Daredevil the moment it dropped. And boy, should I have spaced it out because it was it was tough to get through. Even as someone who was excited to the point that I think I would have forgiven like most of its flaws. Like I still found it quite difficult to get through, but I got through it. Why did. why did you find it difficult to get through, Sidon? Like, for for what reasons? It's just it's a slog of a show. It's 
it everything is so stretched out um there's this all this wheel spinning from episode to episode like people constantly say that you know the the problem with the netflix shows is they seem to spread five or six episodes worth of story over like 13 episodes uh the same way people say about you know the current disney plus shows that it's a features worth of ideas stretched out to six episodes uh not she hulk she hulk is weirdly enough the exception but it it just there was these long stretches where nothing was really happening and there was all this manufactured drama that just kept going in circles and like it just felt like you know even though it had this you know dark and gritty texture to it this interesting visual tone it just felt very light in terms of story mm-hmm. and i think the second season fell victim to that as well i started the second season and i found myself really really unable to get through it so i believe i did maybe the first four or five episodes of it and i said you know i'm just going to skip to the end just to see what happens like i mm-hmm. don't know that i can sit through all this the third ep- the third season excuse me i didn't actually give it a go at all but i've been hearing that it's really good so i revisited some of it i revisited the last couple of episodes uh to see what was what it was all about i wasn't going to start from the beginning just because like oh no what if i have another scenario where i find myself really wanting to <laughs> then you'll never make it to the end then i'll and never we, make and it we need to, to talk end. at least about the ending exactly but but uh hoi chan bui over at slash film almost said smash film excuse me so I got Hulk, got Hulk on the brain. Um, uh, she is a really big fan of season three. So I trusted her with this. And I think I'm going to, you know, go back and watch some more of it. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to the other Netflix shows, I really, really, really liked seasons one and two of Jessica Jones a whole lot. I think those first two seasons are fantastic. I know a lot of people are down on the second season, but I think the second season of Jessica Jones is the best thing the Netflix Marvel stuff ever did. Mm, wow. But I keep forgetting that a third season happened and I keep forgetting that I've seen all of it. <laughs> uh, okay. So I don't know if sitting through an entire season of a Netflix show really has that much of a payoff anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I think that's kind of the reputation they ended up getting was there was very few people that were like, yes, every episode of that Netflix Marvel series was absolutely worth it. You know, the yeah. chatter I saw online constantly was that, hey, uh, like you said, these kind of stretch out. Uh, this is 13 episodes, but it's really just like nine episodes worth of story, basically. Yeah, um, and I wonder if they had released weekly the way the Disney Plus shows release, mm-hmm. how many people would have dropped off during the season? Mm-hmm. Or uh, or would the weekly uh, episodic release schedule have been more bearable because the, the weaknesses of a show are less obvious, I think, sometimes for, hmm. for a show that releases weekly. It's a good question. Um, anyway... Uh, totally fair. That makes complete sense, Siddhanth. Uh, but one of the things I was impressed by, in addition to just the the attempt at telling this sprawling story with these interconnected villains and uh, all these memorable characters you need to introduce, like Wilson Fisk and Bullseye and so on, was this Daredevil specifically, I feel like, has a fandom attached to it mm-hmm. that the other Marvel shows do not. Uh, and I think that's obvious, first of all, in the fact that they're bringing it back. Uh, they're not, I don't, maybe they're going to bring back Jessica Jones or Luke Cage or the other shows, but I don't, I haven't heard about it. Um, but I remember for a time, Netflix couldn't make any tweets without people being like, why did you cancel Daredevil? You know, like the, <laughs> the, the fandom was so intense about Daredevil. And I, I spent this week trying to figure out why that is. And 
I think another huge reason for it, besides people really like Charlie Cox's central performance, which I, I am a huge fan of as well, is uh, the action. You know, Daredevil was a show that really was ambitious in terms of action, filmmaking, and storytelling. Uh, I think that compared to movies, it, it's still, you know, I watched some of the best action scenes in the show and still doesn't look great in my opinion, but you can tell there is so much ambition there. And it reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you're too young for this, Siddhanth, but basically like there were some shows on television like Walker, Texas Ranger or, you know, Sammo Hung used to do a show called Martial Law. I remember watching it every week and it's like, a procedural show where every week there would be an action scene. You you get to see an action scene mm-hmm. with a cool, a cool thing happened. And I don't know that there's a, a good action scene in every daredevil episode, but there's like many daredevil episodes where there is an action mm-hmm. scene and, uh, and often creatively shot, creatively done the fact, like just the sheer visual of this guy who is like mm-hmm. face is blindfolded, beating a bunch of guys uh, down is really striking many of the shots were uh the action scenes were done as though they're one long continuous shot yeah you can kind of see the seams of it but it's still i appreciate the ambition there um so it was ambition for ambitious from a storytelling perspective also an action telling uh, action movie show perspective and then i'll also put out that thematically it's one of the most interesting things out there this mm-hmm. is i think the first Marvel character or one of the first Marvel characters that we've seen on screen is really engaged with their religion Mm -hmm. in any meaningful way. You know, uh, Matt Murdock is Catholic, believes that there is room for redemption for Mm -hmm. all people, doesn't believe in killing people just because he believes there's room for redemption. In the final episode of the show, which we're going to spoil, he is on a tear against Wilson Fisk, who's obviously cost Matt Murdock a lot. And you think he might give up his principles and murder Wilson Fisk. Uh, But he changes his mind at the last minute and Wilson Fisk stays alive and Matt Murdock's principles are adhered to, but it just, you know, right from the opening credit sequence, the opening title Mm -hmm. sequence with like the blood like substance pouring over the scales of justice. You know, it's, it's a show that I think is thematically rich in Mm -hmm. a way that a lot of other Marvel stuff isn't. Yeah. And I think that's admirable. What do you think? Siddharth? No, I agree with that because it it the thirteen episode structure did at least uh, give it the chance to wrestle with certain things. Whereas, you know, some of the modern Marvel shows may not use their room or the episode length to really dig deep into their themes. They would sort of you know vocalize it through dialogue more likely. But and and what also assists in this is the fact that you know it it feels like this quote unquote R rated thing not that you know it, it would get rating as a tv show but um it has this very visceral feel to it the fight scenes so it feels like there is a real cost to the violence right because it's a show all about the the spiritual cost of violence in a way for matt murdoch and and you also it, it, that gets tied in very directly to the physical cost because there's a lot of blood and, you know, uh, I'll say this, even when the staging and choreography doesn't fully work for me, even when, like, the attempts at, like, the one-take stuff doesn't always work for me, the impact always does. The sound editing always does. Um, the look of, you know, the characters when they're bloody and battered, their clothes are covered with blood, you wouldn't really find that in 
too many modern PG-13 action movies. And I'm also, like, I'm not surprised that Daredevil now lives on Disney Plus because, you know, it's a branding thing. But it it feels so weirdly disconnected from the brand that Disney wants to maintain mm-hmm. to see something like Daredevil on Disney Plus. Um, and it makes me wonder, like, what is the the tone of Daredevil Born Again going to be? Is it going to feel like a season four of this show? Yeah. Or is it going to feel like, you know, uh, a soft reboot, you know, emphasis on soft, but like, I just send it down or something. Yeah. Um, I, you, you point out something I think is really worth noting, which is that Daredevil, I would argue, is basically hard R in terms mm-hmm. of its uh, its depiction of violence on screen. Tons of blood, broken bones, people getting killed left and right. Like, it is a hard R show, in my opinion, uh, in a way that basically nothing else Marvel has been. Right? Yeah. And so, uh, and that also makes it notable, I think. And, and I, I, you know, the, the last thing I wanted to point out is like, okay, Dave Chen, you're talking about how awesome Daredevil is. Like, why haven't you finished watching the show? <laughs> and I think, I think the reason is because I still find like a lot of the acting and dialogue to be really over the top and a little bit campy, very theatrical, you know? be like, I can't believe you didn't get the killer. You know, it's like, it's kind of like that kind of, it's obviously um, inspired by, you know, hard-boiled cop dramas, right? Um, Noirs and so on. And and it just is not really to my taste personally um, in terms of like what I was, what I'm looking for from a lot of TV these days. Uh, so stylistically, it's just not the thing for me. But there, but going back, there's there's much that I admire about it. Um, and one of those things is, yeah, they really they really did take chances. You know, they they were like, hey, let's make a hard R Daredevil show with a bunch of different villains, and we're going to deal with this character's Catholicism, and we're going to talk about the divine and what it means to inflict violence and take matters into your own hands and all, all, all the kind of thematic stuff that the show delves into. It's all very interesting. And uh, some of it's pretty well done. Um, so anyway, just wanted yeah. to, to plus one, that hard R thing. I'm in, I'm in sort of two minds about the acting uh, because on one hand, look, I think the show is phenomenally well cast. I yes. think Charlie yes. Cox makes for an amazing Matt Murdock, you know, Agreed. He's Red like the highlight for me. He's the highlight. Yeah. yeah. And I think it, it feels almost like a coup that they got Vincent D'Onofrio to do the things that he's doing as Wilson yeah. Fisk. Because yes. this is a version of the character that we've never seen before. It's not like any other movie or animated or even comics version of him. But you watch him and he's so captivating because whatever he's doing, it feels so incredibly lived in the way he embodies the way he commits to this strange version of Wilson Fisk, who feels like it at every moment is wrestling with like childhood trauma and just seems like he's either about to like go on a killing spree or break down crying or both. Um, It's funny how, you know, they try and make him, I don't know. I, I don't know how to feel about this because, you know, the first time you really see him, one of the first times, and this continues all the way till season three, he's doing this sort of like Hannibal Lecter-esque, like I'm a fancy villain thing in his fancy kitchen, but he's just making like the plainest omelette you've ever seen. <laughs> um, but as far as the disconnect goes, um, yeah, especially in like the final episode of season three, you have all these really goofy things happening. 
Like the dialogue is very, you know, expository and you have the fake daredevil, Agent Poindexter, throwing <laughs> spoons and forks at Wilson Fisk. <laughs> and I can't tell how seriously the show is taking it. I don't know if that's a problem or not, but I was having a good time. Well, I just think the concept of Bullseye is like inherently silly, I think. You know, even like the Daredevil movie with Colin Farrell playing Bullseye, like it's mm-hmm. when you're throwing like pencils and forks and shit at at things and like hitting them right. It's just like kind of silly inherently, yeah. I feel. Uh, maybe they just haven't nailed it yet in terms of like a serious depiction of that kind of character, you know? Yeah, the the series feels halfway between I think two of the more recent comic runs that I would say influenced it the most. Uh, one was an absolute favorite of mine. This 2008 um, comic run by writer Brian Michael Bendis and artist Alex Malev. And it opens, uh, like I think its first issue opens with Wilson Fisk in like heavy, harsh shadow uh, as, uh, you know, each consecutive panel like pushes in on him closer and closer. And it feels like Colonel Kurtz in Apocalypse Now. And a lot of what happens in that comic run feels kind of inspired by The Godfather. And at the same time, Alex Malev's art is, it's very dreamlike. So so his so his action scenes don't feel like action so much as they do like these dreamlike vignettes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, but what, what that run also really gets is, is that, you know, as much as the action is important, the character portraits are also really important. So just these still panels of, you know, characters just kind of sitting and talking are maybe the most interesting thing. So it's this like serious sort of measured, you know, almost gangster inspired story. And then one of the runs that came immediately after was the run by writer Mark Wade, which, you know, the art is much brighter and Daredevil goes back to being more of like a swashbuckler um, I don't know if you've seen the image of Matt, Word- uh, Matt Murdock's Halloween costume uh, where he has I'm Not Daredevil written on his T-shirt. Mm. Uh, yeah, and he's got like like a headband with like devil horns. It's really funny. Um, or maybe it was a Christmas thing. But either way, I've I've like done that cosplay for New York Comic Con. So it was this really fun, really goofy, really adventurous comic that came immediately after. And I think the Netflix show seems to be kind of trying to blend the two in a way i don't know that it always succeeds but i appreciate the effort yeah yeah well those are some thoughts on on daredevil a show i think it sounds like we both have pretty positive feelings about overall you know um despite despite, <laughs> despite bouncing not, while watching <laughs> despite neither neither of us ever finishing watching it you know um but it's okay. It's okay. And so we should point out where we last left off with Daredevil and Matt mm-hmm. Murdock, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, again, Murdock has defeated Wilson Fisk at the end of Daredevil. Uh, and he and his buddies, um, Foggy and Kate, is it? Karen. Uh, Karen, I should say, sorry, um, are going to form a law firm. And uh, they're going to defend the people that need defending all those uh, people who can't afford those fancy high-priced city lawyers, uh, but nonetheless still need assistance. Coming to Disney we, Plus, the public defenders. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, nicely done. And we saw a bit of that. He took on Peter Parker's case in Spider-Man No Way Home. So we saw a little bit of Matt Murdock there. It was a nice cameo, but I feel like in terms of continuity, you can basically disregard it because, I mean, he probably has no memory of it at this point, mm-hmm. even yeah, how yeah, that yeah. movie ended. Yeah. Uh and also, as you mentioned, Wilson Fisk did appear in uh, Hawkeye. Now, at the end of Daredevil, he was being imprisoned. 
So what was his context in Hawkeye? I think Wilson Fisk may have died at the end of Hawkeye. It certainly looks like he's been killed. Um, but, you know, how much does death really matter in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Yeah, I don't think he's actually dead, to be fair. <laughs> because uh, he's coming back for Daredevil Born Again. Um, so, Or maybe they'll find some way to bring him back to life. You know, who knows? They do have a multiverse. That is the state of Daredevil as of She-Hulk Attorney at Law. Uh, seems like we're going to see Matt Murdock. I don't know what context. Like, is it going to be a quick cameo or is it going to be a meaningful episode arc, a multi-episode arc? Who knows? Um, but I think there is a reason a lot of people are really interested in his return to the MCU. And uh, hopefully we've eliminated some of them during our conversation just now. So, Yeah, and another interesting thing is that the way Jen Walters is a lawyer, Matt Murdock is also a lawyer. Whoa. Yeah. Did wow. you know that? Did you, know did you that? come up with that yourself? Dude? I did. That's yeah, a, I'm the first amazing. person to draw that connection. You really put that together. Great job. Thank you. Great job. Thank you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. All right, folks, you're listening to or watching Decoding TV, and we are talking about She-Hulk, Season 1, Episode 6, Just Jen. I'm David Chen. He's Siddhanth Adlaka. Siddhanth, let's talk about overall thoughts on this episode, which does appear to be following the same formula as the other episodes, right? Like uh, Jen deals with something in her personal life and or there is a court case that may or may not be attached to whatever she's doing or connected to whatever she's doing. Um, so yeah, yeah. what do you think? Uh, before we get right into it, so I have to say I watched this episode in kind of a, you know, kind of a foggy, groggy state because I had just gotten my COVID booster. And unfortunately, it, uh, it didn't turn me mean and green. It just made me very sleepy. Um, mm-hmm. But that being said, like, it, it feels like the perfect show to watch uh, when you're experiencing the side effects of a vaccine. Um, <laughs> because it's it's just, yeah, it's it's fun, you know, as, as soon as you start... Um, as soon as you start zoning out, the episode just kind of ends out of nowhere. So that's great. Uh, but again, like I, I can't really complain too much, even about you know these episodes having no real actual endings, because it's it's a lot of fun along the way. Like today's two, uh, this week's two, you know, a plot and b plot, the two plots don't really have anything to do with each other, but individually, each one is you know it's enjoyable, it's light, it's a good time. In the a plot. Jen Walters shows up at her estranged friend 
uh, Lulu's wedding and encounters Titania, who wants to fight her. She also manages to potentially find some love there at the wedding. So that's the A plot. In the B plot, uh, Mallory and Nikki, uh, Mallory, who is another lawyer at her firm, and Nikki, Jen's paralegal, decide to take on the case of Craig Hollis, otherwise known as Mr. Immortal, played by David Pasquese, who is basically playing the same character as he played in the HBO original series Veep. Hmm, if you've seen okay. that show. I have not. Um, oh, my gosh. Incredible show. And he basically plays the same dude, which is like a kind of philandering, misogynist, kind of uh, unreliable dude that still manages to seduce a lot of women. Um, so... He's awesome in both shows, and I'd highly recommend Veep. But anyway, I'm thrilled that they are using a version of Mister Immortal in this show, because Craig Hollis or Mister Immortal was going to be in the New Warriors TV show on Hulu that was eventually canceled in like 2018, and he was going to be like a much younger guy. Because in the comics, Mister Immortal is you know just a you know young costume superhero. Yeah. Um, and he's part of, I, I believe he first showed up in West Coast Avengers, and then he went on to be part of this group called the Great Lakes Avengers, which is like a fun Avengers subgroup. But um, yeah, this 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 version of him is just like a older, sleazier, yeah. ascot-wearing, non-superhero <laughs> guy. <laughs> it's a fascinating take. And, you know, we were talking about how well some of these Marvel shows are illuminating their themes in the podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. And uh, we were discussing how Daredevil does a pretty good job of drawing out these themes of what it means to be uh, Catholic, what it means to believe in redemption, and uh, what your perception of justice is. In a similar way, She-Hulk's themes of men are terrible seems to be coming through like in a pretty clear and, uh, and vivid way on the show. And I say that not backhandedly at all. Because... Of course, if there was a Mr. Immortal, he would use his abilities to skirt any confrontation or responsibility when it comes to his marital and non-marital relationships, right? Um, the, and I think it's playing off this idea in popular culture that like um, men often don't like talking about their feelings, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And here's a guy who, like, what if you had a man who didn't like talking about his feelings, but he also had superpowers, and he could live forever. It's like, what would he do to avoid that kind of thing? Um, would he go so far as to fake his own death and start a new identity? The answer is probably yes. Men would and rather die than go to therapy. Exactly. 100%. Oh, that 100%. just got dark. Oh, God. <laughs> men, men would rather fake their own death and go to yes, therapy. Yes. Okay. That's that? a better way of putting it. But, men but would the thing rather, is, men would rather it. fake their own death, you know, uh, move from woman to woman, having like serial relationships. Uh, then go to therapy. Anyway, go ahead. He does die legally. Like from what he says, like in a legal sense, he is dead. So apparently his breathing and circulation probably does stop for a second. And then uh-huh. he just keeps going about his day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm sure uh, the jurors were going to be really sympathetic to that one. <laughs> but of course, of course that doesn't happen. And what happens, like the, the resolution of that plot is that uh, Nikki finds a way to give every single woman their own custom apology or compensation or um, retribution or, or what have you. And uh, that's what ultimately cracks the case wide open. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it shows you how emotionally intelligent Nikki is. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that they're using She-Hulk not just to, you know, flesh out these questions of 
what would you know certain legal cases look like in this world but it's also it also seems to be like where like the larger shared universe is being fleshed out in very tongue-in-cheek ways mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. because he mentions like he 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 got gold from his wife baroness cromwell which is a reference to a real character in the marvel cinematic universe who has ties to i kid you not dracula <laughs> So we can assume from this week's She-Hulk episode that, yeah, Dracula probably exists in the MCU. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and he also had Apple shares from 1986. He did. So, so Steve Jobs existed at one point. And... Steve Jobs exists in the MCU. Yeah. Right? Unless Apple was run by someone else. You know? Oh, true, true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anything else you want to say about this Mr. Immortals storyline? Uh, here's my favorite part of it. Okay, Siddhanth, is... Uh, they make great pains to mention at the beginning of the episode that um, Jennifer Walters' friend, Lulu, is getting married on a Thursday. And it's very, very <laughs> weird to get married on a Thursday. And the only reason you get married on a Thursday is so you can intercut between these plot lines because they wouldn't have these me- meetings at the law firm on a Saturday, probably. But, so, but the thing is, in big law, like the hours are crazy. You would have people going into the office on a weekend. Yeah, but would you bring, like, everyone else in there? You know, like, you wouldn't bring all the parties in there to hash things because you'd need, like, yeah. support staff and probably like that. So they Maybe. put that Thursday reference in there just so you could intercut between the wedding and yeah. also this plot line. Yeah. And that's nice. That's, that's and, nice. That's a, it's just a little gift for the nitpickers out there. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so. it's good to know that uh, DJ Ched or the Inchedible Hulk has nothing else going on on a Thursday, so you can just <laughs> DJ the wedding. Yes, indeed. Uh, that is Jen's cousin, I believe, in yes. the show, right? Yeah. Yes, cousin Jed. Yeah. Uh, we also find out at the end of that plot line, by the way, that Mallory has a has a son and is married, which is like, wow, that's um, uh, didn't know that backstory. Don't know if those characters will figure into the show at all. But uh, and then they get into this uh, unfortunate online stuff that we'll we'll talk about a little bit later. But then there's the A story, which is Jen going to this wedding with uh, Lulu, and I thought the whole Lulu stuff was. Very funny, and and it raises all these questions about weddings in general, Sedant. You know mm-hmm. that we're now going to talk about in a fairly extended tangent. Mm-hmm. Um, so weddings, who needs them? <laughs> I think they're a fairly silly ritual. I'm not. I don't. Um, any of my comments should not be taken as a, a commentary on the institution of marriage in any way, which has its own issues. I'm just talking about the idea of a wedding. You know, to paraphrase Jim Gaffigan, uh, it's it feels really silly. It's like we're gonna have a medieval feast and invite people to our to you know come present gifts to us, and uh, like we're like uh, having a little miniature kingdom almost. <laughs> um, you know, like it's a little mini kingdom, and everyone's coming, and we're all gonna dress up and and hold a party, and uh, it's just it's just an odd, just mm-hmm. an odd ritual. But I will say, to be more serious about it, I will say that I, I would argue that more relationships have been ruined because of weddings than created because of weddings. Huh. Um, and I think that the re- reason for that is because with weddings, um, there are often, like, things are, things are done that I think people find to be very personally offensive or... Uh, shattering or, you know, uh, there's basically like really high stakes, 
for weddings, right? And if you do something, it is perceived as a potentially huge slight against someone mm. uh, that then like is very hard for that. It's very hard for that wound to heal. Um, what so was anyway, your, what was your wedding like? <laughs> it was amazing, but I'm just saying, uh, uh, like we had a, we had a lovely wedding, uh, you know, amazing uh, to see all of our friends. And I thought the ceremony and the reception was awesome, but it's also just like, uh, like, my wife is a very attentive person. And so like, we like took notes and make sure to like, thank everyone that, you know, gave us presents and like all, you know, there's all these like rituals you need to go through. And if you don't do them correctly, Mm -hmm. then people get offended. Relationships are broken and so on. Now, I don't think that happened with our wedding, but like uh, I've heard so many stories of it happening. And I think this episode illustrates how stuff like that happens. where like, somebody gets so caught up in their own day and what they want it to be like that they end up imposing on other people in ways that they don't anticipate. What is your view of wedding Siddhanta Tlaka? So, um, I am very familiar with American Christian weddings just through media, just through TV and movies. Um, and I've never been to one. I'm sure I will at some point. But uh, the general pop culture idea of a Western wedding is something I'm familiar with. And it seems... Yeah, it seems Wait, like so it... you've never been to a Western wedding in your entire life? Is no, that correct? I haven't. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I've been to a lot of weddings, just not, again, like an American Christian one. Mm, okay. Um, like, the, you know, getting married in a church, saying your vows and, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, family sitting on either side. Um, so I'm familiar with it conceptually. So it's not, it's probably not going to be like too much of a shock when I go to one. Um, but yeah, no weddings for me, like Indian weddings, Hindu weddings, specifically Punjabi weddings, uh, are, are very, very different from that. Um, first of all, they are at least three day affairs, like anything less than three days. It's like, what, you know, what's the point? Um, and if there's one thing that Westerners generally know about Indian weddings is that they're very big and colorful and they involve like, you know, song and dance and stuff like that. Uh, which is, you know, completely true, even though there's like a lot more to it. Um, but the focus of, you know, generally a South Asian wedding is is very different. You know, um, the focus in Western weddings, Western Christian weddings, I should say, tends to be on the bride and groom. Like even just the way it's physically set up, you know, you have the family sitting and facing, you know, this ceremony that's going on with the bride and groom standing there. And they are the central focal point, Right. And of course, the bride and groom are absolutely a huge part of an Indian wedding too. Um, But it's just as much about the families coming together. It's just as much about, you know, it being a union of families. And so, yeah. And and again, like I said, it's a lot of fun. And if you like, I can tell you a bit about what generally goes on at one of these if you've never been to one. Uh, I have actually photographed one before, oh, okay. um, but I haven't uh, been to the full like three day affair. Um, okay. But yeah. So yeah, yeah again, it, it depends. It varies from religion to religion, region to region, all of that. But generally, most of the ones I've been to, uh, the actual wedding part of it lasts three days. Although somewhere beforehand, you also have an engagement party, right? So, you know, we, we, we do like it, it's become a thing now to like plan and, you know, photograph, like, you know, get down on your knee proposals uh, like you have in the West. But then you have an official engagement where the families are involved and there's like a little religious ceremony to get the people engaged. It's an excuse to throw a party like a year in advance. So then the actual wedding part of it usually lasts about three days, right? The first day is the reception. 
And how that normally goes is, at least in my experience, you have the bride and her family already at the location, which is like a ballroom or a banquet hall or some fancy hotel somewhere, like just a space where you can have a lot of people. It can also be like an open air thing that's really nicely decorated. So they're already at the location and the groom and his family, you know, come from a certain distance away and arrive and they are welcomed or received, hence the reception term. Uh, he rides in on a horse and usually on the horse, he has a little boy with him, like sitting on the horse, riding with him. Like you have, uh, what is it like flower girls and stuff like that at, you know, your weddings, yeah. we yeah. have what's called the Sarbala who sits on the horse. And I've been one of those I've, as a little oh, nice. kid. I was like the little boy on the horse. And then uh, again, depending on, you know, your own customs and beliefs, when the two families come together, sometimes you have this thing where, um, you know, each corresponding family member from each side of the family is introduced to the other, like, oh, the father, the father, you know, the you know, yeah. uncle on the father's side, uncle on the father's side. And I believe that happens at Vietnamese weddings too. Uh, although in this case, they try and like lift each other up and have like an impromptu wrestling match. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's just like a fun little competition to see who can lift who. Um, so, and then, you know, you have the, you know, bride and groom sitting down and everyone lining up to meet them. But also you have... Um, what I what to me is like the main event of any Indian wedding, which is the song and dance stuff. So the the boys' friends and the girls' friends, or if it's you know two guys or two girls getting married, the, each side's friends put on like a little dance performance, and the the parents and uncles and aunts, like the older generation, they put on something as well. So it's not exactly a competition, but it's structured like one. Like all right, this side does their dance, this side does their dance, and it's just a lot of fun. Um, and that, that comes yeah, up in Miss Marvel as well. So when you see a wedding depicted on a TV show like this, like a Western wedding, like, what is your reaction? You know, as the, what, it feels a lot more... I mean, first of all, we didn't even see the wedding in this episode, we should point out, right? We didn't even see uh, the groom. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, w- what is kind of your perception of, uh, of Western weddings? That they're just kind of more sedate affairs, do you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the dancing seems to happen like afterwards at like a late night party, which I'm yeah. you know, sure everyone has fun at. Um, but okay, so here's the actual wedding part of the wedding. That's on day three. On day two, you have like these little, you know, separate things like families just sitting, singing, eating together. You have like a henna ceremony for the bride. Um, but the third day is the actual wedding. I've been to a lot of weddings. I don't know that I've actually seen the 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 marriage ceremony part of it. Because it is important. So it happens in like this little, you know, this, you know, an area off to the side. And in Hindu weddings, uh, you know, you, you sit around a fire and a pundit or a priest will say a prayer. And then, you know, you, you end it by walking hand in hand around the fire. Like, I think it's like seven or 12 times or something. I can't really remember. But that part of it, not everyone shows up to watch. Mm-hmm. Like it, it happens. And the expectation is, yeah, watch it if you want. But usually there's like, a huge buffet going on elsewhere. And that's where most people are gathered. Like they're just eating and talking and hanging out with each other while the wedding, first of all, everyone is hungover. Um, (laughs) So, and then the wedding is just happening, you know, off to the side. It's not the main event, like the actual marriage ceremony. So so basically Indian wedding, I think what you're saying is Indian weddings take the She-Hulk attorney at law approach where 
the actual ceremony itself is of minor importance uh, to everything else that happens. Pretty much, you know, in pretty the episode. much. Yeah, yeah. And so, what what is food generally like at um, weddings here, like at Christian weddings here? Because I, again, my idea of it comes entirely through pop culture, which is like, would you like the chicken or fish? Um, but what, what's the food like? Yeah, uh, it can vary wildly. You know, uh, sometimes it's like a served meal, like chicken or fish, and then you get your choice. I went to a wedding that took place in a barn once and they had this gigantic pig and they kind of like had barbecued or roasted the pig and people just like ate the pig, you know, and that was mm-hmm. and with some other refreshments and that was it, you know, it can, it really depends on what people's style is. I think that is one thing I do appreciate about Western weddings is it is fairly versatile for those who are willing to kind of think outside the box, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot you can, you know, you could, you can personalize it in a way. Yeah. You you can have like a, a chihuahua in the wedding party, for instance, ah. or or a small dog. I don't know if that was a chihuahua in the show. I think it was, like a, yeah, a small dog uh, in the show. Um, yeah, yeah for, go go ahead. I said for us, it's a little less adaptable, but also like even though there's not that much variety from wedding to wedding, there's a lot of variety within the wedding. Like when it comes to food, there's a huge buffet spread, and you can you mm. can expect like the same dishes from wedding to wedding pretty much like a huge indian buffet uh but i saw a tweet recently that that really spoke to me and it's like it's not an indian wedding unless you have a pasta counter and half melted vanilla ice cream it's like <laughs> yeah no that's literally every indian wedding i've been to mm, interesting interesting yeah no chihuahuas though well uh in terms of western weddings the one in shehol attorney at law this week was i think a pretty Pretty typical one and a pretty mm-hmm. kind of typical depiction of a bridezilla situation. But you just kind of feel for Jen in this episode and how she's completely put upon and imposed on and and thought of as less than. And I I think what I appreciated about it is this idea that even though you are a superhero and you have superhuman powers, uh, it doesn't necessarily stop people in your social life from treating you like garbage. You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> Uh, yeah. like clearly not only that, but they can also feel like your superpowers and your superhero status is an imposition to them. You know, like mm. it can, it's something that, uh, they need to overcome, uh, and, and might upstage them, you know, is, is kind of what we're witnessing. So, yeah, like it is at the end of the day, it is like also a bodily transformation. It's like, you don't necessarily want someone showing up uh, to your wedding. Who's like, you know, over the, spent the last year getting really buff or losing a whole bunch of weight because, like, no, no, today's my day. Mm-hmm. What, what a bizarre practice. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, I'm just talking about you know Western weddings in general and, yeah. and how and, and the rituals around it. I think are just it's it's uh it's odd. That said, you know, uh, I, I would say my wedding was like fairly unconventional, but not everyone can do that, and uh, nor nor does everyone want to. Like, if you think western weddings are amazing you know i don't want to uh throw shade in any way on that like i'm just saying for me personally uh it's not not really kind of something that i uh i just think it's a little odd so uh titania shows up you're really trying to preempt a lot of you know hate comments from wedding stands oh yeah all the wedding stands (laughs) that listen to us talking about she hulk every week you know um, but uh, a few other things happen this episode. Uh, Titania shows up. They have a, as usual in the show, very abbreviated fight scene. Uh, the way the fight scene is edited is really weird. Like she mm-hmm. punches her and then, and then like, she like cuts to Titania, like running out of the room with a cake, you know, holding the top of a cake. It's, it's very <laughs> odd. Um, 
she uh, Jen Walters tries to contact Bruce, but Bruce is not to be found. And uh, Jen meets this cool, uh, cool dude. Uh, kind of starts uh, having a good rapport with this guy that she meets at the wedding. So that's nice. Um, anything else you want to say about this wedding plotline before we get to just the very end here? Uh, no, there's, there's not that much to it beyond what you said. Like, it, she struggles for a second to transform because she's drunk, which I thought was funny. Uh, I yeah. like how they... Um, I feel know, like she... they spent all their VFX budget and time on that one shot, <laughs> which looked pretty good. It looked pretty good of her, like, trying to transform and then yeah. not happening. Yeah. And, and again, like, her as she helped the CGI, the... the you know, on the surface, the appearance looked better than it did in previous weeks. And the movements are still off. Uh, but I like that we get to see, you know, Titania through her very drunk eyes. Like, oh, my God, I'm seeing double of four crusties. Um, <laughs> I love it. Love that it. was fun. Abbreviated so, fight scene. And then um, Lulu is drunk and in, enjoys it. And that's the resolution. And and then Jen is eating fries. And then the episode kind of ends. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Patty Harrison by the way plays Lulu mm-hmm. and uh she is awesome. She was in uh a, a bunch of episodes of uh Tim Robinson's I think you should leave. Mm-hmm. Uh and was very hilarious in that. So anyway, yeah. always great to see her in something. So. Something she Hulk does really well is drunk women. Mhm. Between Lulu, Madison and even Jen. Does really well in what sense, Sidon? Like just the depictions of like the, the actors are doing a really good job because, like, it's it's hard to play drunk, you know. Like, I see, yeah, yeah. Like, at, you know, as 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 anyone knows, when we're talking about She Hulk, we have to talk about you know what the acting great, Sir Michael Caine, who once said that you know uh, a drunk person <laughs> doesn't try to act drunk; they they yeah. try they fight to stay sober. Yeah, and so you you got some good drunk performances on this show of you know women who are kind of like falling over but trying to stand up straight. I got to say that what the show has shown me is that Tatiana Maslany is like an enormously gifted comic actor. Yes. And I wish that we got to see more of that, honestly, you know, because this, this episode probably shows the most of it because I think she spends probably the least amount of time in this episode other than maybe the first episode as she Hulk, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, it's just, it's nice to see, but when she becomes the she Hulk, the performance does get a little bit lost because of the CG I feel. Mm, Yeah. Two things happen at the end of the episode. Uh, one of them... Oh, 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 oh. Uh, Titania loses her teeth. Yes. That happens. Perhaps. That should, yes, that was the first thing I was going to say. Sorry. <laughs> so, no, it's okay. Uh, uh, but the other thing is that uh, she uh, is told by Nikki via voicemail message um, that uh, there are people online who really hate her, you know, and like are threatening to kill her and i think this is actually a different group of people that are trying to get her blood i think is um, my sense. from what i can tell okay so when they log on to intelligence intelligence intelligentsia i think it is um it, it's a sort of like dark web subreddit looking thing where yeah. people are posting well first of all like you know superhero related you know videos of like mr immortal and then there's like this this further section where you have to like log in and be approved by um a mod of sorts what is his name king hulk hulk king just a moment i have this written down here hulk king one word uh you have to be approved by this mod hulk king and then you get to post like memes of how you want to kill she hulk which is a fairly accurate depiction of the internet 
Um, but then when we cut to this lab at the end, mm. you actually do see a message from Hulk King showing up to the, the people in this lab saying, oh, we, you know, we're ready to try again or something like that. So I think whoever Hulk King is, we're six episodes in and we have no idea what the, like, the, the show is actually about still. Whatever. Whoever this person is, is apparently trying to get She-Hulk's blood, you know, through those people he hired a few weeks ago, through these lab technicians who are, seem to be developing some kind of drill-like needle, um, but also running a forum for people to try and, like, kill She-Hulk. So I think this person is involved in, like, both of these things. Mm, yeah. Good, um, good call. Good call out. Yeah. So in the comics... The, the intelligentsia is an actual group, right? It's not it's not a forum. I don't know if there's anyone who goes by the name Hulk King, but the intelligentsia, as the name might suggest, um, involves a lot of like really smart characters. And I think they're trying to reassemble the lost library of Alexandria. So this is very different from what we see in the show. <laughs> so it involves um, like all of Marvel's smartest villains, including like Doctor Doom, uh, Modoc. And notably, the leader. Hmm. So I'm wondering if there's a connection here. The Tim Blake Nelson character from uh, yes. the Incredible Hulk. Yeah. I do want to point out that some people did write in or tweet at us. I don't recall where I, I saw this. Of course, you can always email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. But uh, someone did comment that the most obvious person who it might be that's trying to steal her DNA or who Hulk King might be, is that guy that she went on a date with um, who was really fascinated by her. I don't know if you remember that. Remember that? Yeah, I guess. Because he shows up in a subsequent scene as well. So it's like, yeah. why would they have him in two scenes unless yeah. he might be significant in some way? So that, that's what some people are guessing, and that seems like a solid guess to me. So, Sure. Uh, yeah, it, it could be. I'm, I was thinking like, hmm, what if it's Titania? Because that would make an equal amount of sense. <laughs> But, you know, so far there have been two episodes with minor references to what appears to be the overarching villain of the season. Mm -hmm. uh, but we've got seven, eight, nine. We've got three episodes left where yeah. I think now it's probably going to start playing a bigger role. Maybe. All right. Well, we'll find out. Anyway, I think that'll do it for us today here on Decoding TV covering She-Hulk season one, episode six. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you want to find more episodes of this podcast, podcast.decodingtv.com, uh, where we are also covering Andor and The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. And if you want to support the podcast, go to decodingtv.com, become a paid member. We really appreciate it. Next week, Dan Gavazin will be filling in for me. But until then, he is Sanat Laka. I am David Chen. We'll see you later. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 